the first reading can be found on page 1028, and it's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, starting at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, uh, beginning at verse 1 and continuing at verse 27. And this can be found on page 723 of the Church Bibles. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. 
Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Well, um, do turn back to that first passage, the Luke passage. That's where we're going to be uh, based for the next few minutes, page 1028 in the Church Bibles. And as you turn back, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. So, Father God, we are brave enough to pray that you, the everlasting God, would speak to us this morning, that you would strengthen us, those of us who are feeling weak, that you would comfort, comfort us for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake we pray it. Amen. Uh, Philip Pullman, the author, wrote this, after nourishment, shelter and companionship, stories, stories are the thing we need most. Uh, while I was in Australia, I noticed that one of my friends had a tattoo on his wrist and it read this, if I could get close enough to read it, it read, my story. Why? Why our obsession with stories? We love stories, don't we? They're not just for children. It's why we go to the cinema to be told a story. It's why we turn the television on to be told a story. And we're not just story hearers, we're storytellers. The Christmas drinks party this next week, someone comes up to you and they say, tell me about yourself. You will reply with some kind of a story which places you within it to convey your identity. Why? Is it not because stories have great explanatory power? They explain the significance of things, the plot line, and the identity of people, who we are. And indeed, once we know the hero of the story, everything else falls into place. It all makes sense. And this morning we're reading a special glimpse of the ultimate story, the Bible story. In fact, it's the story of all of human history. It's a special glimpse of Simeon holding a child. Are you sitting comfortably? Well, then I'll begin. Verse 27. When Mary and Joseph brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. If you're taking notes, my first heading is this, Jesus is the hero of the Bible story. Jesus is the hero. You know, at the heart of the Bible story, there is not in actual fact an idea 
or a philosophy or a technique or a lifestyle or an aesthetic or even a creed, there is a person. And we meet him here through the wizened eyes of old man Simeon. Our story begins just eight days after the first Christmas. Uh, Christ is barely eight days old. And no doubt he looks like any other child has ever looked. Rumpled, a bit fat around the joints, and crying. And he's bundled off to the temple to be circumcised, born as he was, into a Jewish family. And I like to think that Simeon, who was a very old man by this stage, you'll see it from this famous painting. He was maybe over 100 years old. I like to think that he spotted this child and his parents, Mary and Joseph, over the other side of the temple in the circumcision queue. And he shuffles over to them. And as older people sometimes do, he said, would you mind if I had a cuddle? And can you imagine Mary giving nervous glances to Joseph? I mean, he does look quite doddery, this old man. Will he drop the baby Jesus? Joseph gives the go-ahead, and so she hands over this precious bundle of chromosomes. And Simeon cradles the baby boy, and he says those words we heard earlier. If we listen carefully, we can hear his old cracked voice say this. Now my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. Isn't that such a beautiful story, such a beautiful picture? It's a very odd thing to happen when you think about it. In the culture of that day, age equaled respect. And Simeon had been accruing respect in that sense year by year. He now had a century of respect. One did not, as an older person, approach the children to lavish one's respect on them. And yet here is a hundred-year-old man coming over to a newly-born baby to, to worship him. Unheard of. Not only was Simeon old, but he was well-respected. You see, he's righteous and devout, a man of good standing. You can imagine the teenagers coming to him to plague him with questions about the Bible and the Torah and the law. He would have had too many godchildren to remember their birthdays. He would have received many more Christmas cards than he could possibly send. He would have been called Uncle Simeon. And even more than this, he was spiritually privileged. Did you see, is it verse 26? The Lord had spoken to him directly in an oracle. And so isn't it a beautiful thing as we see this man who had all the cultural kudos of the day pick up a baby child barely eight days old and worship him? One of the distinctive things about godly people in the Bible is that they have often lost a sense of self. It's what uh, the writer Tim Keller calls self-forgetfulness. And it's not that these people think little of themselves or think a lot of themselves. They just forget themselves. They don't notice themselves anymore. And it happens because they become increasingly obsessed and fanatical about somebody else, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember in John chapter 1, we see the same trait in John the Baptist. I find it so striking. 
Someone sidles up to him. In fact, a group of people ask him the question. They say, who are you? Do you remember what he answers? He says, I'm not the Christ. In other words, his whole worldview is orientated around this one character of the, the Lord Jesus Christ that he assumes the only person anyone else is interested in is Jesus. And so as these people come up to him and say, well, tell me about yourself, what's your story? He says, um, I'm the wrong person. I'm not Jesus. It's a self-forgetfulness. It's a beautiful thing. And we see something of that in Simeon. End of verse 25, he's been waiting for this moment, waiting and waiting for so long, focused on this Christ for so many years, he couldn't care less about himself in this moment. Of course he's worshipping this baby. Simeon has quite literally been living for Jesus. I don't mean living for him in the sense that you and I will try and follow his teachings. I mean literally living for him in the sense that after he's seen him, he's content to die. He's been living for Jesus. And it's because he understood that the Bible story is bigger than his story. And Jesus is the hero of the Bible story, and so no wonder he worships this baby boy. Did you notice the scale and the size of the Bible story in the reading? It's global in size and millennia in length. Global in, in size. Did you see... Um, End of verse 25, this is the baby who would console or comfort Israel. In other words, bring the Jewish nation to the new creation, as we heard in our New Test Old Testament reading. The one, verse 32, who'd be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He's a cosmic baby. He's got global plans. And the message of the Bible is historical. He's been waiting for a hundred years or so, but we've been waiting since Genesis 3.15 for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's millennia old. Did you see the nativity little scene as you walked in? Beautiful. It just seems quite easy to miss, though, doesn't it? So small. And a little baby. There he is. But he's cosmic, this child, in his significance. He's the hero. And friends, I know this isn't all of us, but it is me. So many of the human race are so interested in ourselves. I love it when people say, tell me about yourself, or where have you come from? What are you going to do? How are you feeling today? I love that because I love speaking about me. And I find it so frustrating when I meet somebody who will only talk about themselves. And I'll tell you why I find it frustrating. It's because I want to talk about myself. And as Charles says, I've been going to a number of different interviews the last few weeks, and someone asked me a couple of weeks ago, do you find the interview process nerve-wracking? And I thought for a moment, I thought, not really. Because it's just people asking me about me. And if there's anywhere where I'm an expert, it's to do with me. I've been studying me for 31 years. So please do, ask away. I'm very happy to speak. But Jesus is the hero, not me. And that is what the, the amazing message of the story of Christmas. It's this little baby boy who's the hero. It's not me. It's not you. Second little heading. The Holy Spirit is the interpreter of the Bible story. Jesus is the hero. 
The Holy Spirit is the interpreter. Did you notice how many times the Spirit is mentioned in our passage here? Have a little look down if you would. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Verse 26, the Spirit reveals to him that he will see the Christ before he dies. Verse 27, he's moved by the Spirit to go to the temple so that he's there at precisely the right moment to meet this otherwise usual run-of-the-mill baby boy. So without the Spirit, if we take the Spirit out of this story, all we have is an eight-year-old child being circumcised. It is nothing miraculous at all. I dare say without the Spirit, we wouldn't have Simeon's song, the Nunc Dimittis. Through the words of Simeon and Luke, the Spirit tells us the significance of what's going on here. He interprets the Bible story to us. And this has been one of the Holy Spirit's most amazing privileged roles since the beginning of time. He interprets the Bible story. I mean, cast your minds back to the Old Testament. Without the Spirit's commentary on the Old Testament, we would have been confused. I mean, the Tower of Babel would have been a great architectural achievement, would it not? But the Spirit tells us, no, 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 it wasn't. Or the exodus from Egypt would just have been another migrant crisis. But the Spirit tells us, no, it's more significant than that. Or uh, the the walls of, of Jericho would just have been maybe badly built by a cowboy builder. But the Spirit tells us there was more going on than that. You see, the Spirit is the interpreter of the Bible story. And that's exactly what he does in our story here. Have you ever been in a home group or a church or a situation where people open the Bible and it goes something like this? The Bible passage has been read and there's a moment of quiet as the discussion begins and someone over in this corner, let's say, takes a deep and quite profound sounding breath. I say, and they look up. I say, well, I like to think that God... dot, dot, dot. Or... I love to think that God would do this. And everyone listens, and there's this chorus of approving, mm, yes, very profound. Someone else chirps up. They're not looking at the passage. They look up as well, and they say, um, yes, well, I like to think that uh, this. And again, the same chorus of resounding approval. Mm. No one noticed that person A radically disagreed with person B and that neither of them were looking at the passage. And everyone goes home very happy because they had a chance to air their views about what God may or may not be like. Have you ever been in that kind of context? I find it massively frustrating. It's a waste of time. Waste of time. Because the purpose of looking at the Bible is to let the Holy Spirit speak. The purpose of home group or church is to allow God to air his views about himself. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. That's what the Spirit is doing in this passage here. It's a wonderful thing. So there we have it. The Bible, the biggest, the best story. The hero who's Jesus. The interpreter who's the Spirit. But what about us? We know it's not all about us. Jesus is the hero. But seriously, what about us? Where do we fit into this story? So finally, a word on our identity. Third heading, Jesus in the Bible story, he tells us what we are really like. He tells us what we're really like. Have a look down, if you would, at verse 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed 
uh, them, that is that, that little family, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The Lord Jesus Christ, what he does is he offers a double revelation to us, a double revealing. Very important to grasp this. Verse 32, he reveals the character of God to humanity. That is what we celebrate at Christmas time. We needn't guess anymore in our home groups. We look at the Lord Jesus Christ and we see what God has always been like. But secondly, verse 35, he reveals what we are really like as well. I was trying to think of as an illustration to, to get us to grasp this. And I, I've only come up with this. I think it's rather weak, but see what you think. I think it's a bit like looking through a window at dusk. You know what that's like? You look through a window at dusk and you, you can still see through the window beyond to the garden or the person beyond. Still see through it. But at dusk, you also catch a sight of your own reflection in that window, don't you? So it's a double revelation. You see through it and you see in the window yourself. It's a little picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. Firstly, he's a window through whom we see God the Father. We look at him and we see God. And as we read of him in the Gospels, we read of him eating and laughing and sleeping and weeping. We see what God is like as he eats, laughs, sleeps and weeps. That's a wonderful thing. We're no longer guessing. That's what the Gospels are talking about when there's no need for darkness anymore. He comes to bring light. But at the same time, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a little glimpse of our own reflection and what we are really like. And the way that works is like this. Before Jesus came to earth, we could kid ourselves that we really were quite a fan of God if he did exist or that we were ambivalent about God if he did exist. But after Jesus Christ came to earth that first Christmas time, he no longer left that option open to us. We could no longer shut the curtains on him because he's unavoidable. 2,000 years ago in Galilee, his miracles, his teaching, his popularity made him unavoidable. People had to make their minds up about him. They couldn't just draw the curtains on the Christ event. And it's the same today. The church witness, at this time of year especially, witnesses to the unavoidable Christ, his miracles, teaching, popularity. And so we're left thinking, no, what do I think of him? And as we meet him, we meet God himself. And I'll tell you what happens when people meet God in the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens is there's a great division did you notice that in the verse down there? This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And what happens when you mention the name of the Lord Jesus or preach him, there's a great division. It scares me. It's the most profoundly scary thing as a preacher. You can sometimes see it as you preach Christ. Someone's heart hardening, someone increasingly cold towards Jesus. Or someone's heart warming to Christ for the first time, eyes glinting, delighted. But there's a hardening and a softening and a, a rising and a falling amongst those who listen. 
You can see it over the course of a year at church or over the course of a term in the youth group, a hardening and a softening as Christ is preached. He's the Marmite man, the one whom people either love or hate. It was funny, Katie and I just... As I begin to close, we were in Sydney recently, at the end of our Australia holiday. We were in a park in the center of town, and a homeless man came up to us. He was a very nice gentleman, and we got chatting about all sorts of profound things, and we began to tell him the Bible story and how all this world would be fixed one day, and he liked that. He was interested. But the tone changed when we actually mentioned the name and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was interesting. I began to talk about Jesus, and he became profoundly cross and angry, and he left, just stormed out. I often find that's the case. Do you find that's the case? You mention the name of the Lord Jesus, and something big happens. There's a rising or a falling. And in that sense, Jesus shows us our own reflection. He shows us what really is deep down inside our our hearts, deepest thoughts. How wonderful, therefore that he comes to bring salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. You know, it's very hard to overrule and to rewire a knee-jerk response from someone. If someone is scared of open spaces or spiders, it's hard to rewire their brain so that they're not. It is even harder to rewire our heart's response to somebody. And some people's heart-jerk response to Jesus is negative. But the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit, can reach deep down into that person's heart and do heart surgery, can rewire their heart so that their hate towards Christ turns into a holy affection or their ambivalence turns into an adoration. That is what it means when Christ is called salvation here. And that is what we pray for this Christmas, that as we come again under the Christmas story, as we, through the wizened eyes of Simeon, hold the child again, that our hearts would be warmed, not made cold towards him, that we would be those who rise and don't fall. So I'm going to close in a prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible story. We thank you for reminding us that Jesus Christ is the hero and not us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit and the way in which he interprets, commentates on events so we understand them. And we praise you for your salvation. Thank you for revealing to our hearts whether we love you or not through Jesus. And thank you for reaching into our hearts to warm our hearts again to him this Christmas. We pray that that would be our experience for Jesus' namesake. Amen.